Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Wednesday, April the 27th, 2022. It is currently 4.11 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live two stories above a street right here in Abilene, Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in. Now, I need you to listen to me carefully here, right? I'm going to talk about something that I have been talking about a lot over the past few years. I've mentioned it to the people at Victory Baptist Church multiple times. I've talked about it in different ways and different and different forms uh, on numerous podcast episodes. I think a lot of times when I talk about it, I think some people's initial reaction is to disagree with me, but I... I, I, I'm, I'm committed to my perspective here. I am committed. You may disagree, but I want you to at least consider this because this is going to lay the foundation for a, an article that was written here. When was this article written? An article was written on 27, well, it was written today, published today. And the, that article got me thinking once again about this, well, concept that I have that I keep talking about. So I'm going to lay, I'm going to give you my, my philosophy, my perspective, my, this concept that I think lays the foundation for an article that I think in some ways my, my perspective answers the question this article asks. Now, this article is going to put forth their own answer and you can compare their answer to, well, what I think my my perspective offers as an answer. But are you ready? Here is my perspective. I believe there are three different Christianities. I believe there are three different Christianities. Now, I know the minute I say that, you're going to say, absolutely not. There's only one Christianity. I, I understand. Hear what I'm trying to say here, okay? I'm using this in an illustrative way and, and an allegorical way to try to make a point that in reality, even yes, I believe that there should be only one true Christianity, but the reality is there are three different Christianities. That's just the reality. You can deny it. You can pretend it's not there. And I guarantee you, you fluctuate between two of them. You may fluctuate between all three and you may have many ideas. That's the result of all three different Christianities through uh, that's the result of three these three different Christianities and you may not even realize it all right listen to me here are the three Christianities number one we have the Christianity that is being sold we have a Christianity that is being sold and what I mean by that that's the Christianity of the marketing campaigns that's the Christianity of advertisements that's the Christianity that we may sell when we preach a sermon or at a conference I think so much of that is we're selling an idea of Christianity and we and we sell it in such a way that it basically goes something like this you become a christian and every you're going to have a better marriage you're going to be a better employee you're going to be a better boss you're going to be a better husband you're going to be a better wife you're going to be a better son you're going to be a better daughter you come to christianity it's like it almost like here's your life right now i can't use a disney movie as an uh, as my illustration here because you know disney's bad now so a hallmark movie can i use that it's like here's your life right? And now here's your life on Christianity. See, it goes from this horrible, horrible horror movie, right? It's horrible. It's, it's X-rated. It's horrible. It's disgusting. It's vile. It's destructive. It's depressing. It's discouraging. 
It's ugly. It's just everything about it is disturbing. Okay, but once you become a Christian, look at this. Look at the Hallmark movie. It's so beautiful. It's so wonderful. Everyone is smiling. Look at that. Look at look at the happy family on the brochure. I mean, when you look at uh, churches when they market stuff, look at look at their the the marketing materials. Look at the the people. In many cases, even a church website. In many cases, the pictures there are not even people actually in a congregation. These are stock photos taken from somewhere, and they show everyone smiling. Or, or if they if they send out any material about a small group, it's all of these beautiful people. No one looks ugly. Everyone's beautiful. Everyone has perfect teeth, perfect hair, perfect clothing. They're all sitting around. Someone's holding a coffee mug. They're all smiling. And you're like, oh, see, that's Christianity. Or if it's a about a Christian youth group or, or a Christian in, uh, or anything, just anytime we market it, we find all of this great marketing campaign that pr- puts this forth, this idea that Christianity, if you get Christianity, you get the fairy tale. If you get Christianity, you get the Hallmark movie. If you get Christianity, everything's going to be wonderful. Everything's wonderful. It goes from, you know, thunderstorm, hurricane, ugly, to the sun is shining, the birds are singing, zippity-doo-dah, what a wonderful day it is. Everything's great. Everything's wonderful. And that's how we market it. That's how we sell it. You can say, no, we don't. Yes, we do. It is sold that way. And you have this idea. You have this perception. Now, maybe it's not the fault of the church. Maybe it's not. Maybe it is. But I, I I believe that whether it's intentional, I think in some cases it's just straight up intentional because we 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 listen listen to the marketing experts. We want to market it that way. But here's the thing. I want you to listen to me. Even if it's even if you try to argue to me that it's not marketed that way, there's the perception that it's going to be that way. What was your perception? I want you to think back. When you when you first became a Christian, what was your perception of how Christianity was going to be? What was your feeling? What was your thinking? Now, maybe you grew up in the church, so it, it you have a completely different mindset. But if you come from outside the church, you just get, I, at least in my mind, I had this idea, this this romanticized vision of what it was going to be like. And I found out quickly, I'm sorry, it's not like it it was what I felt how it was sold, right? Maybe it wasn't quite sold to me that way, but at least I had my own romanticized version of it. So I think there's the Christianity that we sell, the Christianity that we market. It's the way we we preach it. It's, it's just like, you know, come to Jesus and everything's going to be wonderful. Come to Jesus and everything's going to be great. Some obviously within the prosperity gospel take it even another step and you come to Jesus and you're going to be healthy, wealthy, prosperous. They take it even another step. And even those who say they hate the prosperity gospel, they still sell it like you come to Jesus and it's going to be wonderful. You're going to have... Well, they may not even, they may disagree with Joe Osteen, but we almost sell it like you're going to have your best life now. Even though we may say we don't believe that. So I think there is the, the Christianity that is sold. Then there's a second kind of Christianity. This is the one we pretend. This is the one 
we pretend. I think a lot of Christians, okay, so Christianity has to be this way. So there's a lot of pretending, pretending that everything is wonderful, pretending that everything is great. When we try to cover up our sin, we don't want anyone to see the the bad things. We don't ever want we don't want everyone to see the bad things. So there's a lot of putting forth that smile and like everything is wonderful, everything is great, everything's wonderful in my life, everything's wonderful in my children. We want to give a we it's a it's almost like uh, it's it's the Christianity of Instagram. It's the Christianity of Facebook. And what do I mean by that? People put forth an image of their life on Facebook and Instagram and other social media platforms that's not actually real. It, it's 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 curated. It's well. It's it's designed. And you you've seen. I don't know if you've seen those videos of someone you know trying to get that perfect photograph for Facebook or Instagram, and it may take like 30 takes, 40 takes. And so therefore it's all manufactured. It's not spontaneity. It's not real. There's nothing real about it. So there's a Christianity that we pretend to have. And so we try to pretend that, you know, that Christians are more godly than the ungodly, that Christians are this and Christians are that, and that we're, and we just have this way of pretending and, and trying to hide the reality of what's actually going on within Christianity. And what this leads to is anything that, that cracks that pretend Christianity, anything that seems to call it into question, we immediately say, well, they're not a Christian. They were probably never saved. They were never saved. We just immediately start throwing people out of the kingdom of God because we, they, they're, they're, they're destroying our, our pretend Christianity. And like, nope, they couldn't be a Christian. They couldn't be a Christian. They're probably not a Christian. They're not a Christian. They're not a Christian. And then pretty soon, the only people are the Christian. Well, is you pretending to be something that you probably doesn't even capture the reality of what you are. There's a lot of pretending, right? We're, we're almost trained to do that because, because uh, the reason we're kind of trained to do that is because, well, the reality would probably get us shamed and condemned, so we have to pretend. I just, I, I, there's, I could give examples, but, I, I, but the goal is not to go into all of these. The goal is to get into this article. All right, so I think there is the one, there's the Christianity that is sold. There is the, the one that is pretended, where Christians feel an invested interest to put forth an idea of Christianity that may not even be the reality of what it is, all right? And, and you just, again, I would just tell you, you look at how churches put forth an image, and then sometimes you find out once you, uh, you know, pull back the curtain that things are not what it appears to be. It's mess, it's brokenness, and it's just, it's ugly. And you find out what's happening behind, and, and behind the doors in many ministries. It's not, same way with the contemporary Christian music world. If you look at any documentaries, you find out that nah, things were not what they appeared to be. If you watch the documentary of uh, Jesus Music on Hulu right now, they talk about Russ Taft. He was with the Imperials, then Russ Taft became this major solo uh, star in uh, the 1980s, um, going into the 90s. Uh, he had his album, I think, called Metals, and, you know, he was all these Christian anthems, and, they, you know, Christianity, Christianity, and come to find out, uh, okay, uh, someone said, I, ha I had no idea what to expect, but soon thought I should be a wealthy Superman listening to mainstream Christians. Okay, well, you're right. I mean, I, th I think you may not, we, we may not have an idea, but soon as you get into Christianity, you start getting a concept of what you should possibly be. But back to the Rust Half story. So Rust Half, and I have, 
I, I, I know I have a, a number of his CDs in my uh, gigantic CD collection, but uh, I, I saw Russ Taff in concert. Um, his album Metals was like this like motivational anthem to like, you know, I'm not going to bow to peer pressure. I'm going to stand up for, for Christ. And there was a lot of these songs that, you know, got you all pumped up as a Christian teenager that I'm, I'm going to stand against the world. Well, while we're listening to him, give us all of these anthems about overcoming and victorious, and we don't have to bow to idols and, and we can be God's, you know, we're, we're God's medals and all of these things. If we could go on and on and on about everything in that album. I, I should just pull up all the lyrics and just start reading to you. But you would get the idea. This really positive, uplifting, inspirational thing. Well, while all of that was going on, the reality is Russ Taff was an alcoholic. And you can watch this. Russ Taff himself is in the documentary Jesus Music. He was an alcoholic. He couldn't go without it. He had the alcohol. After a concert, the alcohol was waiting for him in his, in his uh, you know, hotel room. There, there was a reality there, but see, that reality was not seen. So it was a pretend. The whole thing was a pretend. And, and, and that's what it has to be. A Christian artist can't just come out and go, hey, guys, even Christian podcasters, rarely can you just come out and say, hey, guys, I'm, I, man, it's been a bad week for me spiritually. You, you know, you can't, you, everything's got to be put forth as, as, as being, overcoming, victorious, inspirational, everything's wonderful, everything is great. So I think there's a pretend Christianity. So there's the one that is sold, there's the one that's pretended, and then I'm going to call it the reality, the real Christianity. When all, when all of the marketing is done, when all the pretending is over, then we get into and we see the real Christianity. And you know what it is? It's ugly. It's broken marriages. It's sin, it's pornography, it's fornication, it's adultery, it's fighting, it's domestic abuse, it's child abuse, it's broken churches, it's kids being molested inside churches, it's church covering up the abuse, it's, uh, it's church splits where members are fighting one another, it's fighting over property, it's fighting over the color of the carpet, it's bickering, it's backstabbing, it's gossip, it's slander, it's hate, it's unforgiveness, it's just filled with all of it's First Corinthians. That's one of the beautiful things I love about the Bible. It doesn't put forth a marketing form of Christianity. It doesn't put forth a pretend form of Christianity. It gives us the ugly real thing that Paul refers to these people in First Corinthians. If you'll, if you'll look at First Corinthians, he refers to these people that he is writing to as babes in Christ. He refers to them as Christians. He refers to the people in the church of Corinth as Christians, and they are just filled with pride, arrogance. They're divided. They're, uh, they're getting drunk at the Lord's Supper for crying out loud. Can you imagine if that was reported today? Hey, the local uh, at, at, at the First Baptist Church in whatever town you live in, well, last night they were partaking of the Lord's Supper, and uh, there was a, a massive amounts of trouble because a large portion of the congregation got drunk. People are like, oh, how scandalous. What's well, right there in 1 Corinthians? They got drunk taking the Lord's Supper for crying out loud. They were suing one another. It was, it was just chaos in the church of Corinth. But see, that's not, we can't ever, that's not support. No, 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 no. Don't let anybody see that. No, we got to cover it up, cover it up. Cover, instead of, we, we just can't be real. Three forms of Christianity. 
the kind we sell, the kind we pretend to have, and then the, the reality, the real one, what we actually possess, what we actually experience. Now, why do I mention all of that? Because right when I got done with the last live broadcast, I got a notification that said, why are some Christians so mean? I'm like, well, that's, that's an interesting thing. Almost like it's a shock. Hey, well, have you ever noticed that some Christians can be very mean? I mean, I, 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 almost like it's a shock. It's a surprise. And I'm like, why are you shocked by this? <laughs> okay, well, it's, it's the reality. But so I'm going to go through this. They're going to give some examples of some horrible things that happen. And we're, we're just going to talk about it and see what, if they can answer the question, why are some Christians so mean? Right underneath it, it's fascinating. They have, these people are like on a, there's two, fig, like two individuals. It's not a picture of like a real person. They're like kind of like of a drawing with no actual face, almost like a stick figure, right? There's two of them. One of them is getting ready to walk off uh, the edge, right? There's like a board they're standing on and then there's a board going down, holding it up. And then it's just nothingness, right? So one's getting ready to step off the, the edge here and going to fall to who knows what. And the person standing behind him has his hands out, like going to put, like if this guy doesn't keep walking that direction, I'm going to push him off. Implication, the one getting ready to push the other guy off the edge, well, is a Christian. And you would say, how mean, how cruel. Christians would never do such. Well, that because you're going back to what was sold you. <laughs> you're going back what you're pretending. I think, I think I've seen plenty of Christians more than willing to push them off the edge. More than willing. And then once they fall off the edge, go run and tell everyone uh, so-and-so has fallen and can't get up. But nobody's going to go help the person. They're all just going to sit around talking about how the person fell off the edge and mock and slander and gossip and condemn. And nobody's going to actually go, maybe we should put down our coffee cups and go help the person who fell off the edge. No, 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 no. Why would we do that? It's more fun to gossip and slander about them than to actually go help them because well that's a whole that's a whole message in and of itself but let's see what they have to say some of the world's meanest so some of the world's meanest people are christian that's the first sentence some of the world's meanest are christians i think most a lot of most christians would say absolutely not those mean people aren't christian they would immediately just throw them out of the kingdom of god because we we have to maintain this the 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 market the marketing campaign we we can't we can't acknowledge that there's some really garbage dumpster fire people who could be christians no we got to immediately say they're not christians because that's our that's our that's our own, that's only our ace up the sleeve our ace up the sleeve is when someone makes christianity look bad we take the ace out and say they're not a Christian. That's what we got to do. We just got to get rid of anyone and everyone, you know? And so like if, if David lived today, not a Christian, Solomon, not a Christian, Abram, not a, I mean, we, we just, we just started throwing half of the people in the Bible out of the kingdom of God. We was like, gone, 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 gone. Cause they make us look bad. So what do they have to say here? Well, they start here with an example, Abby, she's 37. She's, she's a fashion, a fashionista boutique owner. All right. Fashionista, if I'm saying it correctly, uh, boutique owner. She's an influencer. Now, despite these external signs of success, she, she's 37. She's a fashionista. She's a boutique owner. She's an influencer. That would be on social media. She's an influencer. And she has all these external signs of success. However, the women's group she attends. So she attends a, a woman's group, right? All these women. 
they hear her heart's hunger for marriage. So she's successful, but she's not married. And so the women in her group, they hear her heart. I don't know exactly what that means, but they hear her heart. All right? they're, they're, I guess, in tune to her need to be married. However, Susanna, who follows Abby on Instagram and sees her frequent selfies, told the group, hey, 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 I, I, I watch her all the time on social media. You know why she's still single? Because she's self-centered. She's selfish. Now, okay, you may not think that that's mean, but that's pretty much a garbage move that you've got to go tell everyone your, your reason why you think the person is not married. Who are you? Why, why is it even any of your business? But hey, Christians do that exact same thing. You say, well, that's high school stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's alive and well in most churches. So, so there's, there's example number one. Number two, Marcia and her sister had weathered their shares of arguments when her only sister got diagnosed with breast cancer. However, Marcia dismissed their differences and cares for her sick sister diligently. Yet despite Marcia's selfishness, selflessness, and knowing about her family's financial need, the dying woman purposely cuts Marcia out of her will. So Marcia and her sister, they've had some issues, but Marcia sets everything aside, takes care of her. But even though the dying woman knows about her, her, her sister's you know, financial needs, and everything, cuts her out of her will, just like not, not going to help you. Greg not only abandons his family, he also pursues another man's wife, breaks up that marriage, marries the newly liberated woman with the money from the church. Oh, did I mention that Greg was the pastor of said church? Susanna, Marcia's sister, and Greg would tell you they're Christians. But how can Christ followers be so heartless can you imagine Jesus shooing uh, a leper or shaming a prostitute? After all, he sacrificed his life, not just for the frazzled single parent, but also cold-hearted child abusers and crooked criminals. So how could anybody who insists they love Jesus turn around and shatter our soul with cruel words? They say, good question. Here are four possible answers. Now, I find it fascinating that the article gives them some pretty garbage examples of people being, you know, just almost petty and rude and being heartless and just doing some horrible sins. But all of these people would be the ones claiming to be great. All the people doing the bad stuff would claim that they're Christians. Now, again, the first, the most, typically whenever you tell a story like, any story like this, the, 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 the Christian response is always, they're not saved. They're probably not saved. That, like that, it just makes us feel so good. They're probably not saved. They're probably not saved. It's like, again, we would just, we would throw out almost everyone in the Bible. We probably would, throw, I mean, I, I know this is a little hyperbole. There'd probably be someone who'd be like, oh, we're going to throw out Jesus. I don't even think he was Christian enough. Okay, I'm telling you, that's how some Christians are because it, it, we've got to maintain the marketing campaign. We got to we got to we got to maintain our pretend form of Christianity. But Christians out there can be mean. They can be cruel. They can do horrible for horrible things. Now, what I find interesting is that the article wants to provide us four possible answers. Now, I am interested in their answers. But I just find it that, that, that okay, I got to come up with some answers here. I, 
Why do we have to come up with answers? It's because we have bought into this lie. You know where I'm going. You know what I'm going to say. Some of you have listened to me long enough. You know where I'm going to go. It is so driven into everyone's brain that when you became a Christian, not positionally, but practically, in reality, you became a new creature, old things have passed away, and everything has become new. That is so driven into your mind that you have to then pretend that everything is new and the old is gone. The only problem with that, we know that's not true in reality because you're not your old nature does not go away. So clearly the old is not gone and clearly not all things have become new because clearly you still have an old nature. So how do we understand that? It is true positionally. So whoever you are, when you claim to be a Christian, I see you as a new creature. I see the old is gone because in Christ you have been declared perfectly righteous because of an imputed righteousness. But practically you are not new Practically, you are not righteous. You're still a sinner with a sinful nature. You're still selfish. You're still a jerk. You're still all of those things. Now, the fact that you've been saved by an imputed righteousness, hopefully you are motivated because of God's mercy and grace to now strive and fight to become a better person. But because we've been so just indoctrinated, brainwashed, that we are something that we are not, we have to pretend to be that which we are not, which all we do is create a facade that we cannot then be real with one another about what we really are. All right, here's where they go. Here's their answers. They start with this. This is interesting. They start with the reason this happens, the reason there's just some really mean and nasty Christians. They start with this. A severe neglect of human emotion. That's interesting. Do you think there is a problem within the body of Christ where there's a neglect of human emotion? Here's what they say. Churches major in spiritual matters. They reach the lost for Christ. They teach us his words. Awesome, except when ministers shape their sermons to slander the emotional world. Do you think pastors shape their sermons to slander the emotional world? What does that even mean? Now, that sounds like, ooh, like, like, if I, if I was to say that preachers shape sermons to slander the emotional world and it needs to stop, that would be a good tweet. I, I, that would make a good quote. But what exactly does that mean? I need more, right? It sounds good. But if, I w- if you were to say, okay, what does that mean? I would be like, well, I'm, I'm not so sure. So let's see what they offer. Some do so. Now, they're going to give some different ways in which pastors shape their sermons to slander the emotional world. Number one, some do so by labeling. Hang on, I got to go back. The whole website just changed everything. Okay, here we go. Uh, they just went to a completely different article. I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't, don't change the article on me. All right, here we go. They're like, that's enough. You're, you're, you've seen enough. Now move on. All right, no, I'm, not, I'm not ready to move on. All right, here we go. Some do so. So they say this is how some pastors shape their sermons to slander the emotional world. Some do so by labeling feelings as liars, thereby alienating us 
from our emotions. Hmm. That's interesting. Now, if this is true, if this is wrong to do, then I would be somewhat guilty of this. Because I have, I've constantly said, you cannot trust your feelings. Your feelings are, are, are cannot be trusted. Do not trust your feelings. They are liars. I, I, I still believe that theoretically. But is there a, is there a negative consequence that arises from preaching that truth? Does it therefore alienate people from their emotions? If you say you can't trust any of your emotions, then it separates you from your emotions. I don't think I've ever thought about this. See, this is why you have to constantly read and read and read and read and have whatever. That's why I say whatever I thought yesterday has to be challenged today. Sometimes you can say something that's true, but there's unintended consequences from said truth. They go on to say this. So that don't really explain much there. That, that somehow we can alienate people from their emotions. They go on to say, others rail against therapists or counselors. Now, that is true. Some, some are like, how dare you who claim to be a Christian? You go to a counselor. You go to a therapist. You should just believe in Jesus and he'll fix all of your problems. Okay, well, that, once again, almost giving the idea that somehow when you become a Christian, you're infused with a righteousness that should fix all of your emotional issues. Okay, I, I've never done that. I will more than happy tell people that they can get a counselor or a therapist. Either way, they go on to say, when church leaders wage a war against our soul and its needs, don't be surprised if some Christians follow along. Hmm. So, so I think what they're saying, now I've got I've to try to read between the lines here. From the pulpit, a war has basically been declared on feelings and emotions. And because that has occurred, it alienates people from emotions. So those sitting in the pew pick up that war and then don't, are not considerate or could care less about anyone's emotions or anyone's feelings. They don't take it into consideration. And anyone's emotions and feelings it cannot even be viewed as a possible reason why they did this because that's just, that's just an excuse. I don't care what you were feeling. I don't care what your emotion was. What you did was wrong and it was a sin. And no, no consideration of the emotion or feeling can even be brought into it. I, there may be some truth there. They go on to say this. However, pretending that Christians have no need to befriend the complex world of emotion is problematic. Whether ministers like it or not, God designed us to be more than just spiritual beings. We also possess a soul and we live in a body. A lifelong habit of denying emotions means some Christians are left clueless when it comes to handle feelings. There are many examples we can wade into, but let's take jealousy, a powerful but tricky emotion to process. Proverbs 27.4 phrases it this way, wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Let's return to one of the mean stories from, from before to illustrate. What if you discover that Marcia's sister disinherits her because of a chronic case of jealousy? 
Marcia had kids and a loving husband, whereas her sister never married. Marcia's job suits her talents, while her sister's profession, professional aspiration never took off. Say you feel more say you feel moved to advocate for Marcia. Would you appeal to her sister's compassion? Um, or, or in other words, uh, what would you do? Um, so, okay, right, we'll stop here before we get before we get into this because I'm going to use this example. So let's stop right here. If we go back, do you think Christians have a habit? of denying emotions. And as a result, they are clueless in how to handle feelings or emotions. In other words, have we reduced everything to this action is wrong, this action is right. We almost ignore feelings and then people respond. But the feelings here lead to actions. It's their actions. I guess what they're trying to say is that these actions are the result of feelings. And if we, if, if they would have been more in tune with the feelings, then maybe it wouldn't have led to the actions. And the reason they're not in tune with their emotions is because the church has basically declared war on the emotions. I don't, I don't know if I completely see this. Let's see where they go here. So they're going to go back to that previous story and they're going to like, so we discover that Marcia's sister disinherits her because of a chronic case of jealousy. Marcia had kids, loving husband, where her sister never married. Marcia's job suits her talents, where her sister's profession, a uh, professional aspiration never took off. So say you feel moved to advocate for Marcia, what would you do? So in other words, if you were in this situation, what would you do? Would you go to the sister and go, come on, how could you do this to your sister? Would you appeal to her sister's compassion? You should have... You know, you should have some compassion here. Look how compassionate your sister has been to you. They, they offer this. A needy dad failed when he used this tactic to persuade Jesus to heal his son. Jesus informed him what's needed is faith, not compassion. Likewise, asking a jealous person to show compassion doesn't, won't always work. So they're saying trying to appeal to her compassion if she's already jealous is not probably not going to work. And they use this example of uh, in Mark 9. We, we could get into that, okay? They go on to say, would you advise her to get over her jealousy? Having your feelings invalidated is unpleasant for anyone, making this intervention highly ineffective. So they're saying if you go to this woman and say, hey, you need to get over your jealousy. You need to stop being jealous. They're saying that when you invalidate someone's feelings, that it makes this highly ineffective and usually makes them mad. So should we... What, what should we do? Well, they offer a third. Approach her with a Bible and cite verses how God commands us to love each other. The word of God should be the final authority for all believers. The sad truth, however, is that it isn't always the case, including when people are gripped by emotions. Operating as though the only thing that mattered was spirituality will injure our relationships. That's an interesting... I, I, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. You know, so you're saying, okay, so you don't confront some people about their jealousy because you're invalidating their, their emotion. So what you do is you just say, hey, here's some Bible verses on that God commands you to love other people. 
like, you know, like your sister? So is what you're doing loving? Is that a better approach? And it says that if we, if we do, I guess if we, if we operate as though the only thing that mattered was spirituality, we injure our relationships. I'm not, I'm not, I'm trying to follow the logic here. I'm trying to follow the logic here. So I guess the issue is, do you think that the church is guilty of just neglecting human emotions simply as they say, operating as though the only thing that matters is spirituality and completely, and this, so this injures relationships because all we care about spirituality and we, we negate or we neglect or we ignore or we condemn or we invalidate emotions. So is that why there's mean Christians? Because Christians, we don't deal with the emotional side of things. See, I, to me, the reason there's mean Christians is because there's depravity. See, it just seems weird that they're like, this seems to be like going way like, we're going to try to find a psychological explanation. And, and, and here's what we're going to do. The reason there's mean Christians is because the church messed up because the church doesn't deal with emotions. It only deals with spirituality. I, I don't know if that's a good, I, it's interesting. I'm more than willing to try to think about it more, but I'm just not catching on specifically with what they're trying to say. Right? Here's a second reason they give, the reason there's mean Christians. Stunted spiritual growth. Some believers categorize church as a Christian country club. They parade their Sunday best and color coordinated from hat to heels to coax uh, compliments from other churchgoers. Bonus points if they can catch their other parishioners throwing side eye towards their bling bling. But at least these folks make it to church. Other mean Christians only attend if it's convenient or because the calendar claims it's Christmas. Consequently, they consume only a puny amount of scripture compared to everything else. It makes sense for these infrequent churchgoers to forego biblical values when a conflict erupts. They might withhold forgiveness instead. However, unforgiveness will ferment into bitterness. And once bitterness blooms, it will poison their hearts. You're always... Your ways and your deeds have brought these things upon you. This is your evil, how bitter, how it has touched your heart. Jeremiah 4, 18. So it says, which explains why they can act in mean ways. So what they say is the reason they're acting in such mean ways is because, well, they, they're not growing spiritually. They're not growing spiritually. And if they were growing spiritually, then they wouldn't act in said way. Well, I think, I think, we constantly have to challenge how we're growing spiritually. We have to constantly, you know, are we attending church? Are we studying our Bible? I think that always has to be, sometimes that's always the go-to for Christians. Okay, the way to fix everything, read your Bible more and go to church. That's that's the go-to. I don't know if, if it's always that simplistic. I don't know if it's that simplistic. I... Th- I th- yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do believe spiritual growth and the lack of spiritual growth can produce some bad attitudes and bad actions, obviously, but I just I just don't know. 
I don't know if that seems like an oh the first one seems like an overcomplication and this one seems like an oversimplification. The first one you're like okay wait a minute so the church basically disconnects people from their emotions and the, that one's I kind of overcomplicates it and this seems to oversimplify it. Hey just grow spiritually and you'll stop being a mean jerk. I, I, I don't I don't know what that works. Here's the third. Here's the third. Uh, they give here. Let's see here. Suppressing emotional pain. Christians who ignore the cuts and bruises to their souls could convey an image of insensitivity. For instance, let's revisit Greg's story from before. Prior to the breakdown of his marriage, Mr. and Mrs. Greg pastored a small church in a small town. Translation, his salary could barely sustain their family. Even after Greg pursued the the only other opportunity he could find, a commission-only sales job, money was still scarce. When Miss Greg saw her husband's substandard skills as a salesman, she assailed her husband as a failed provider and fake preacher. She also shoved her husband once or twice. His wife's nonstop verbal abuse made Greg feel trapped. As their tiny town's most visible personality, Greg couldn't confide in anyone, which is why he went online. What would eventually develop into a full-blown affair began when he found an old friend on Facebook. Just like she used to do in college, this woman knew how to soothe him. I didn't detail Greg's backstory to justify his ungodly choices, but to depict the power inherent in unhealed emotional wounds. Unless we take intentional steps to heal it, emotional pain will explode into behavior that can be cold, unchristian, or often both. Now, this one may have some truth. Now, the danger here is everybody perceives that you're looking for excuses, 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 excuses. Remember, you can you can try to find causes, you can try to find reasons and not make it, you make it a, an excuse when you say, I did this because of that, therefore I cannot be blamed and I'm not responsible. That's a, an excuse. It's different to say, I did this, here are some of the reasons that I think led to it, but I'm still responsible. Some people don't want to even allow for the for the ex, ex, exploring what could have led to it. But I think it is fair that sometimes there can be, can we say, suppressed emotional pain, unresolved emotional issues, unresolved emotional things that makes you vulnerable to certain temptations and certain sins. And maybe even certain emotional reaction and certain attitude. There's something, you, you see the surface, but there's something going on deeper. I'll give you, I'll give you an example. All right. I don't know if it's a great example. After basic training, Lackland Air Force Base, I end up at Shepherd Air Force Base, Wichita Falls, Texas, to begin my training in the medical, in the medical world for for the military, for the United States Air Force. Now, I believe the first time I ever came in contact with this person, yeah, was in tech school. I think she, she was in the same class. And I, my attitude was in tech school, even in basic training, I tried to do the same thing. Is look, look, you got to be, you're, you're, I tried to do the same thing even in my, in my work life is 
I got to be here eight hours a day, nine hours a day, 10 hours a day, 11 hours a day. So I'm going to do everything in my power. Yeah, I'm going to do my job and I'm going to try to do my job right, but I'm going to try to have as much fun as I can. I'm going to try to have, I'm just going to try to make the most of it because I'm stuck here. I'm stuck here, right? So I'm, I'm in tech school. I'm stuck there. It's, it's school. You know, you got to get up, you got to march to class, mark back, march back. You got all of these things you have to do, uniform inspections, room inspections. There's all of these things. It's stressful. It's all, you got to pass. If you, if you don't pass, then you're going to be kicked out and then your military career could be over. Like there's just, a, you could, you know, there's a lot of stress going on. You got physical uh, training you have to do. You got to pass physical tests. There's just a lot going on. But I tried to make the best of it. And we joked around and joked around, joked around. Uh, another, I can't remember his name. He he ended up kind of like my partner in crime. And we we messed around. We joked around. Now, some of uh, some of the students didn't understand. We had one instructor, and she she messed around with us. And and everyone thought that sometimes she did things to us that everyone perceived that she that she, we were being punished. But it was clearly a joke. I'll never forget when it was all over. She basically told everyone in the class that hey, there's only two people here that I would ever want to work with, and it's none of you guys. Okay, it's the people that you all you all seem to hate. They hated us because just we just. It didn't matter what was going on. We just tried to have as much fun and we joked around, joked around. Now, maybe sometimes we were, we probably didn't do exactly what we were supposed to do, but we tried to have fun. But there was this one particular female who utterly hated my guts. I mean, she was, oh man, just an ab, absolute jerk. I don't know what the issue was. She hated me, hated me, hated me, hated me, hated me. Well, we end up at the very same when after tech school, we get sent to the exact same military base off at Air Force Base, Omaha, Nebraska, which is actually lo- located in Bellevue, Nebraska. Okay. We end up there and we end up and w- working in the same place. We end up in the uh, medical records department and she basically just like, just, it's just conflict, right? I mean, the word go conflict, 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 conflict. And so they're finally like, look, what is the issue with this? Well, look, what is your issue? Why do you hate this person so much? And all she could come up with is, I can't stand him because he's always happy. He's always, it's, he just thinks everything is a good time and it just makes me mad. So that means there was some deeper issue going on inside of her. Like her hatred towards me wasn't the issue. There was something deeper going on. I never really understood what that deeper thing was. They basically separated us. They put me on nights, put her on days. We never worked with each other again. And I think she was only there for like two years and then left. I can't, maybe she got kicked out. I don't even remember. Okay. But we went our separate ways. All right. So I just remember having to deal with her in tech school and just the very beginning of my career, very, very shortly lived. And we were separated and that was the end of it. But there was something deeper going on. I don't know what it was. I don't know why she just, she wanted to be miserable. She wanted everyone else to be miserable. And if you didn't share in her misery, then she hated you even more because I guess it made her misery stand out. Even I don't know what the issue was. I mean, I'm not trying to psychoanalyze it, but I think there's some truth that sometimes there's some emotional issues going on. There's, there's things happening that just creates the perfect storm, not only for your own ungodly attitude, your own uh, ungodly feelings, but your own, unga- your own ungodly actions 
And I think that there, I think it's interesting that when you hear the story of what, as the, the, the story that they told of Greg and that, that man who did all of those horrible things, when you start adding the full context, you can see, well, it doesn't excuse it, but you can see, well, I can see how you got from point A to point B. Now, point B is still wrong. So you had to take point A and do something right with it. But sometimes we don't do what's right with point when we're at point A and whatever those emotional issues are. We don't always make the right decision. The problem is, in many cases, I think this does go back to number one, a neglect of human emotion. In many cases within the church, can you share that emotional pain? Can you be open and honest with your struggle? Can you be open and honest with how you're feeling? You're feeling alone or or misunderstood, or that people did not, whatever the case may be, do you have to, do you have to, if you don't acknowledge it, then you, well, there is problems. They go on to say this, unless we take intentional steps to heal it, emotional pain will explode into behavior that can be cold, unchristian, or both. Number four, Shrinking or shirking, I should say, conflict resolution. Remember Abby, the single woman with a successful career? Susanna's comments about Abby's self-centeredness slashed any remaining hope to be married. Abby also, also, Abby also worries Susanna could be right. What if God thinks I'm not marriage material? Abby's family never processed hard feelings. So even though Susanna's words cut her to the core, Abby could only envision one escape route. Quit the small group, avoid Susanna, flee. But let's review what happened from Susanna's perspective. Because she can't find a filter that fit in her uh, mouth, Susanna often broadcast her sentiments liberally. In addition, as a baby boomer, Susanna is a naive newbie when it comes to social media. She interpreted Abba's free, Abby's frequent selfies as evidence of excessive self-love rather than a way to promote Abby's boutique business. Unless Abby can inform Susanna how hurtful her comments felt, Susanna would continue to remain clueless as to her potential harm uh, to her potential harm to others. While Abby continues to wonder how a Christian could be so cruel. In other words, sometimes the issue is there's well, we don't want conflict resolution. Now, I, so in other words, someone. I guess the issue here is that someone could be me, being mean and not intending to be mean. And we don't know that until we do engage in conflict resolution. And then we find out that they never really intended it that way and that we misinterpreted their actions. So maybe their meanness is not truly meanness. We just not don't perceive it. Okay, maybe. All right. They go on to say this. Regardless of why some Christians can be mean, and again, what they never deal with is human depravity. See, they never deal with the fact that we're depraved. I can't stand when that always gets left out. But here we go. Regardless of why some Christians can be mean, we're still stuck with the mess uh, their decisions made. They may range from tolerating all the feelings that, uh, uh, that their callous actions provoke to devastating financial consequences. No matter what cruel Christians have done, however, here's a response that never fails, forgiveness. But let's be real, forgiveness can be challenging, such as when the offender struts around without any ounce of remorse, which, which may explain why 60% of respondents in a survey of love and forgiveness believe the offender must first apologize before we can forgive. This stance, while understandable, is unbiblical. Jesus instructed us to just forgive with or without an attached apology. However, 
The shock of being mistreated can sometimes knock you over. Making forgiveness seems as as unlikely as accessing a high cupboard while lying prone on the floor. If you need help getting back on your feet, they, 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 of course, promote a book here. As we strive to forgive those who have hurt us, there's a crucial a commitment we can make. Let's resolve to do the necessary work to eliminate cruel or rude people from our repertoire. The repertoire. The way we that way we won't add to the mean Christian population. All right. So they don't really offer a lot of help, but I do agree this. When we face people who are mean, when we face people who have hurt us, when people have let us down, right? What we can do, and this is very important, is that we can and should forgive whether they seek it, whether they deserve it, whether you think they're sincere, we can forgive them. We can do that because that's what we're called to do. You say it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but we should not, we, forgiving them, this is, this, think of it this way. We forgive because we have been forgiven. We don't forgive because they deserve it. We don't forgive it because, we don't forgive because they've earned it. We don't forgive because they've asked for it. We forgive because of the great forgiveness we have been given in Christ Jesus. And we forgive others as God has forgiven us, which is perfect and completely. And we release them. We let it go and we move on. Doesn't mean you have to be in a relationship with them. Don't mean you have to be close to them. It just means you've released, you let it go. And you're not, you're just, you've moved on with your life. You've just let it go. That's how we have to respond to mean people. But I think the main thing is we have to look at how do we treat people? Just on a daily basis. Are you kind, considerate, respectful? Do you show gratitude? How do you treat people, every, everything from the drive through window of a fast food restaurant to a waiter to the bus boy in a restaurant to someone at a convenience store? Just how do you naturally treat people? And why is it that maybe Christians are not the most friendly and the nicest and we're mean and can be cruel and hateful and just we can just be jerks? The first reason is because we're still sinners and we, we, we have our depravity. Maybe we don't even perceive how our attitude and actions impact other people. Maybe we think that other people are just too sensitive. But I think it's something to consider. I'm going to stop right there because it's 5.04 and I've got to get ready for church tonight. So that the art, name of the article, Why Are Some Christians So Mean? Um, it's published at crosswalk.com and it was published today. Why Are Some Christians So Mean? Please check it out. All right. Um, and uh, you can, well, you can, you can have your own discussions with it. Right. They, they put forth a lot of, I think some of their ideas, maybe you know, you can, I'm just not going to say anything else. You can, you can tell me what you think. You can email me newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. If I don't get back up here before I go to church, 7 p.m., probably about 7.10, we'll be in Matthew 24, looking at it from a preteristic preteristic point of view, uh, trying to uh, consider it and see how that works or doesn't work. And you can tune in at uh, 7.10 p.m. if you would like. So, so choose to listen to us live. All right, everyone have a great evening. God bless.